Precious Father, we're here needing a word from you. And we thank you that your word is powerful, that it has creative power. And Father, we're asking that your spirit would be in this place, that you would move on our hearts. And each of us individually, we just want to cry out in the, our own heart to ask Jesus to speak to us this morning. Thank you so much that that's a prayer that you want to answer more than we can imagine. So God, we look forward to hearing from you this morning. Please touch our hearts. Do whatever it takes to transform us, to encourage us, and to fill us with faith this morning. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The year was 1865. It was a time period that was full of conflict for the United States. If you know about it, 1861 began the Civil War. It's the bloodiest war, actually, in history. I have a few slides about it here. But in 1861, the war began. It went on for just four short years, and yet it became the bloodiest warfare that America has experienced. The deadliest war. In that war, the conservative estimates are that about 620,000 Americans died. But it could have been as many as 850,000 Americans that died just in the war. And then there's an unknown amount of civilians that died. Just to give you a, a picture, you see here on this graph the Civil War, and then you see World War II. Now, World War II had tons of other deaths around the world. However, for America, it was about half of that more uh, uh, bigger estimate of 800,000. Vietnam, you have about 60,000 who died. Just to give you perspective, in the Civil War, that many people died just in captivity, just as prisoners of war. An incredibly terrible war that was tearing America apart. And at that same time, something was happening in religious history. If you know about the Adventist Church, 1863 was when the Seventh-day Adventist Church officially became an organization with the name Seventh-day Adventists in 1863. So you imagine, it's right in the middle of this war as all this, these battles are going on. America is being torn apart. And in this time... It's especially hard for this growing church that had been exploding in the 1850s, that had just skyrocketed in its membership during this time. It was very difficult for the church at this time because Seventh-day Adventists are non-combatants. They don't believe that they should bear arms for our military. They'll serve in the military as medics. They'll serve to do whatever necessary, but don't believe that we should bear a gun and we should um, participate in that. So... Obviously, this wasn't very exciting for the government, this, this organization, and everybody began saying, here come these Adventists to town, and they are telling us about the end of the world, they're telling us about Bible prophecy, and all we want to do is end this war. Stop telling us about this stuff. And so it began to become really challenging for the Seventh-day Adventist Church to be able to continue sharing about Jesus in this time. So it was around the year 1862, 1863, when... Uh, James White, who was the editor of the Adventist Review, began to call for them to have days of prayer and fasting. And they had these days of prayer and fasting, usually on Sabbaths, and they, they were excited by some things that took place in the government, because the government did say, okay, Seventh-day Adventists don't have to bear arms when they come in. 
but still this draft was so heavy and, and there was so much distraction by this war that it, it was taking away from God's work. And so Elder James White wrote this in the Review and Herald in February 21, 1865. We are thus brought, as it is plainly appears to us, to a place where if the war continues, we must stop. We repeat it, the war must stop or work or our work in spreading the truth must stop. Which shall it be? This is February 21 of 1865. And he says, we're at a crisis here. The, the work of spreading the message about Jesus is going to come to an end if this war doesn't come to an end. It's one or the other. So he goes on to say this. We would recommend, nay more, earnestly request all our churches and scattered brethren to set apart Four days, commencing Wednesday, March 1, and continuing till the close of the following Sabbath as a day of earnest and importunate prayer over this subject. They'd been praying. Last week we talked about praying until something happens. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go on the website and listen to it. But we want to pray until something happened. And James White realized this. He realized that they needed to keep on praying. They needed to keep on praying and fasting. They needed to take it to a whole nother level. And so he proclaimed this, that he asked for the churches to have a day of prayer and fasting. And some of those who went to the specific church where James White was a part of this prayer and fasting said this, Elder James White, this is by Grace Amidon, who was one of the first school teachers in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Elder James White led out in such prayer and supplication to heaven as I never saw a mortal exercise. She said it was like you could feel in that room that, that the very angels who were holding back the four winds of strife, like they came into the room. It was like he was leading the congregation right into the very presence of God. Like it says in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may find help to find, that you may find help, find grace to, for help in time of need. As the people ambled out of the prayer service, still continuing in that spirit of prayer, different people were heard saying, we shall now soon see the end of this war. Now, mark it, this was the second day of the day of prayer and fasting. This was March 2 of 1865. Any of you historians out there know when the South surrendered in the Civil War? It was one month later, in April 9, April 10 of, of 1865, that the Civil War officially came to an end with the surrender of the Confederates. One month later, what if they hadn't continued in prayer? What if they had said, Ah, what are we going to do about this battle? We just got to keep doing what we're doing. But they said, no, we're going to fast and we're going to pray because they saw that there is a bigger picture. And this is what Jesus reveals to us in Luke chapter 18. Go with me to Luke chapter 18. In the preceding chapter, Jesus has answered the question of the Pharisees who said, when will the kingdom of heaven come? Jesus answers this by saying, it's going to come in a way that you don't expect. He said, people are going to be say, look over here or look over there, but don't go out. Don't be deceived. And then he says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in when I come. And as in the days of Lot, remember Lot's wife, don't look back. Don't be like those living in the days of Mo Noah who were eating and drinking and marrying. They were distracted when the day came. After talking about what the second coming is going to be like, what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back, 
Then Jesus goes on to say this in Luke 18, verse 1. He continues on right out of that saying, Then He spoke a parable to them. He's continuing on this dialogue about the end times, what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Then He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to what? So when we come down to the end, when we come down to the world at strife, when we see war, when we see all the things like we've seen over the past week, have you been watching the news over the past week? To see a a country like North Korea having some sort of uh, detonation of an atomic weapon is is quite scary, a nuclear weapon. That's that's kind of scary to know that that kind of power has that, uh, that type of power. It's also scary to look at the stock market. We have the first five days of 2016 being the biggest decline in the Dow at the beginning of any year in history. It's challenging times we're living in. It's, it's times that we shouldn't be surprised by, and yet it's times that can strike fear in our hearts. I'm so thankful for the promise that uh, was prayed during our prayer time. John 16.33, Jesus says, I have spoken these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And Jesus here is saying, in that time, I'm going to tell you a parable that you always ought to pray. You ought to pray without ceasing. That's where Paul got it from. Jesus was the first one to say that. You ought to always pray and not lose heart. If you want to not lose heart, if you want to have courage today, then pray, Jesus says. And he goes on to tell this parable in verse 2, saying, there was a certain judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So this judge is a, an evil man. This is somebody you would not want to go to court and face because he didn't fear God. He didn't care about God's law. And he didn't fear man. He didn't regard man. He had no respect for anybody. He was a selfish individual who only thought about his own needs. Verse 3, Now there was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. You remember last week we talked about widows. We talked about the widow Anna who was there in the temple and who was praying day and night with fastings and prayer, serving God for some 84 years, constantly in prayer. And God answered and sent the Messiah. Well, here you find a widow and you remember the rights of a widow are very limited at this time. A widow isn't one who can just go to court and have the same rights as a man. Normally, in this situation, you would hope that her sons would come and represent her in court, but for some reason, her sons aren't there. For some reason, she's going to this judge all by herself, and she's saying, give me justice against my adversary. Do we have an adversary? 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Can you imagine that? I don't know if you've been to the zoo lately, but have you heard a lion roar? Over Christmas break, we were at the Fresno Zoo with my nephews, and and there was this gigantic tiger. At least it looked gigantic to me. Apparently, it's the smallest species of tiger, but we happened on this tiger cage at just the moment when... Uh, zookeeper was feeding this tiger and it was 
amazing to watch this tiger. She was training it, getting it to do different things on, on the cage. And all of a sudden, it did something she didn't expect. It went up like this, and it went, Roar! It, was, it was like earth shaking. It, it, it did something in your heart, and the trainer just jumped back because she wasn't expecting it. It's scary to see a creature like that. This is what Peter does. He, he pictures the scariest, most intimidating predator that was known in that area of the world. And he says, your adversary, the one who's seeking your life, the one who wants to deceive you, the one that Jesus was talking about in the last days, they're going to try to deceive you. Even the elect he's going to try to deceive. Your adversary is out to get you like a roaring lion. If you were to walk into that lobby right now and you heard a lion roaring, just imagine the fear that would be struck in your heart. But he doesn't say, be afraid, tremble. He says, to pray. Prayer is the answer when we face the enemy. Because here we see again in this parable that this widow is coming. She's looking for justice from her adversary, the one who's trying to take away her land rights or or some type of of rights that this woman has, this woman's rights are being trod on by her adversary, and she's going to this judge, this unjust judge, saying, give me justice. Verse 4, though, says this, and he would not for a while. He, he said, why am I going to do this for this woman? I'm an unjust judge. I'm selfish. I don't want to help this woman out. But then it goes on to say this, Then afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. You see, she didn't just come once in this story. She didn't just come one time and say, hey, would you give me justice? But she kept coming back. Maybe it was every day, constantly wearing down this judge. She wouldn't leave the judge alone, constantly saying, would you give me justice? I need justice in this situation. Take care of my adversary. And he says, she's going to wear me out. In fact, the Greek here is actually pretty funny because this word is only used twice in the Greek. And it's basically to either beat until somebody has a black eye or to beat somebody until they're black and blue. Okay, So he's saying, this woman is coming so consistently, so persistently, that it's, it's going to give me a black eye. It's, I'm going to be all black and blue. I'm going to be abused by this lady. If, if I don't give her what she's asking for, I'm going to be in big trouble. She's persistent. She's going to this judge constantly. So he decides to give her what she asked for. Then in verse 6, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust said, and shall not God... Okay, Here is a comparison that is... It's not just a comparison, but it's really a contrast. If, if this unjust judge, who's so unloving, so selfish, all he thinks about is himself, if this unjust judge is willing to do this, then how much more the loving God of the universe, who Jeremiah 31.3 says, with everlasting love He has drawn you. How much more the God of the universe who loves you infinitely, who Jesus said He knows the number of hair on your head. That He cares about 
the sparrow that falls, how much more does he care about the little details of your life? How much more that God will he avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? How are these elect crying out to him? Is it just once? Just going to God and saying, okay, God, here's my problem. Here's the issue. Okay, now I know you've heard my prayer, so I'm going to go about my business. He says, no, those who come to God, who cry out to him, earnestly crying out to God day and night, continually going to God, just like this widow, persistently going to God, how much more will God hear for them? Though he bears long with them. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we don't understand why is it that God isn't answering me right away? Why isn't this happening in the way that I want it to happen? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Can you imagine the sadness in Jesus' voice at this point? Here he has described the loving God of the universe who most assuredly will answer when His children cry out to Him day and night. And yet He ends by saying, but when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find persistent widows who are crying out to me day and night? People who will not let me go until I bless them. Friends, after this last week, I look out at you and I recognize more than I ever have before that you are under attack. You have an adversary. I can't tell you how many phone calls I've had, how many of you have sat in my office. The things that the enemy is doing in your life are terrible. They're things that you can't handle in your own strength. I've seen it on every level from our families to our school, to all different parts of what is taking place in your lives. The enemy is waging warfare. He's waging warfare at your work. He's waging warfare all around you. As our scripture reading said, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're in a battle. You have an adversary who's like a roaring Lion seeking whom he may devour. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we have a roaring lion who's going, uh, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And then it goes on to say this a little further on in the chapter. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12 said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You think about the conflict that was taking place with the Civil War. At least you could see your enemy. How about a warfare that is against not flesh and blood, but against those in heavenly places? It's against enemy an enemy that is evil, an enemy that is powerful, an enemy that sees you but you don't see them, an enemy that is able to know what is going on in your life and able to deceive you and use deception. How do you face an enemy like that? What do you do? Well, it goes on to say, 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Isn't that what we want? We want to be those who, when Jesus comes back, He finds standing. Jesus says, when I come back, will I find faith on this planet? Will I find those who are crying out to me like the persistent widow? goes on, and I encourage you to pray for this armor of God in your life. Thankful David Montalvo gave me a little reminder this last week, uh, a, a little coin that has the, the armor of God on it, and it's something to remind you to pray for this in your life every day. But you notice after it talks about the armor of God, in verse 18 it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's a battle, so pray. Your lives are under attack. You're facing things at work. You're facing things in your family. You're facing accusations. You're facing all kinds of difficulties in your family. You're facing so many things. And God's saying, pray. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not that person in your life. It's not your boss that's the problem. It's what the enemy is doing in your boss's life. So pray. It's not the people in your family. It's not your kids. It's what the enemy is doing to wreak havoc in your family. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's a battle against an enemy that you can't see. And so what you need to do is to pray. In the book, Testimonies for the Church, it says this, Satan is enraged at the sound of fervent prayer, for he knows that he will suffer loss. Do you want to engage in this battle? Then pray because Satan is fearful of having his his adversary, Jesus Christ, appealed to because Jesus has already won the battle against Satan on the cross. He may still be trying to wreak havoc in your life, but these are small battles in comparison to what Jesus has already done. The prayer of faith, it goes on to say, is the great strength of the Christian and will assuredly prevail against Satan. This is why he insinuates that we have no need of prayer. Have you felt like, I'm good, I don't really need prayer? The enemy wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe, well, I already prayed about that. I don't need to keep on asking. But Jesus told you to pray always and not to lose heart. Just like the widow who kept going back again and again and again. In fact, God actually tells you to remind him of the things that you're going through. Go to Isaiah chapter 62 with me. Isaiah chapter 62. God basically tells you to be so persistent that it gives him no rest. He wants you to bug him about stuff in, his life, in your life. Not because of what it's going to do for his heart. He already loves you. He already wants to answer. But he wants you to keep on crying out because of what it will do in your heart. And what it enables God to do in this great controversy against Satan. What it enables Him to do in sending His angels to work with power in your life. Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 6 says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. And give Him no rest until He establishes, until He makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. God wants you to give Him no rest until you have justice in your situation. He wants you to come to Him as a loving judge and to say, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. 
That was the prayer that Jacob prayed. And that we are told that we are facing the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what Jeremiah compares it to. How did Jacob win the victory? It was by clinging to Jesus no matter what and saying, I'm not letting you go until I have the blessing. The same thing has to happen in our lives. And we see the difference that it makes. We saw the difference that it made with James White and with the Adventist church in the 1865 as they earnestly prayed, Lord God, we need your help. We don't have the answers. We can't stop this gigantic war that's taking hundreds of thousands of lives, but it's stopping your work, and so we're going to fast and pray. And within a month, that war came to an end. And the wars in your life will come to an end when you don't let Jesus go until He blesses you. When you keep going back to Him saying, I know you love me. When you keep claiming His promises. There are so many beautiful promises when you're going through difficult times. Go to Isaiah 59. Just flip back a few pages. Isaiah 59 and verse 19. It says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, and he is coming in like a flood, I've seen it this past week. I've seen it in your life. I've seen it in my life. The enemy is coming in like a flood, and you may not even recognize it, but he is seeking to wreak havoc in your life. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Claim the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is what we need more than anything as a church. That's why we're having this 10 days of prayer because we're recognizing that we're living in times when we must be people of faith. Will Jesus come back and find us faithful? Will He come back and find us praying and praying until something happens? In your own life, you might be wondering, why do I still have these angry thoughts towards people? Why do I still have this issue with lust in my life? Why, why am I so impatient? You might have these different questions about why these things are still in your life. Don't let Jesus go until He blesses you. Keep going back until He gives you justice, until He gives you righteousness in your life through pouring out His Holy Spirit and giving you the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to fill you with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness gentleness and self-control. He's promised it to you and don't let Him go until He's able to bless you with it. We've got to pray until something happens. And continue on in this book, Testimonies for the Church. It says, Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before his strength and majesty. Satan is afraid of Jesus. And so when you're asking Jesus to come into the situation in your life, that situation that you feel like you're in because of the mistakes you've made in your life, when Jesus steps into that situation, Satan is scared to death. Look at what it says. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. At the sound of fervent prayer, that roaring lion and all of his minions tremble. They're fearful. There's another one. This one also will be on the screen if we can get it up. Prayer page 270 says, there is a mighty power in prayer. An appeal to heaven by the humblest saint is more to be dreaded by Satan than the decrees of cabinets or the mandates of kings. Politicians don't have the answer 
to what's going on in our economic crisis. Politicians don't have the answers to what's going on in the Middle East. Politicians don't have the answers to North Korea and their nuclear weapons, but politicians do have Politicians don't have the answers. Jesus has the answer to everything that ails your life. And Jesus has the answer to all things that are going on in this world. And Jesus wants to set all things right. But will we do as Jesus has told us? Will we pray always and not lose heart? Will we follow Jesus' own example? Do you remember how Jesus started his ministry? Right after he was baptized and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, what did he do next? He went into the wilderness and he spent 40 days and 40 nights in prayer and fasting, praying that God would unleash his power and ministry. If you think about it, Jesus knew the prophecies of Daniel 9. He knew that he had three and a half years until he was going to the cross. If you knew that you had three and a half years to spread the gospel to the entire world, to set up your church on earth, Would you spend 40 days praying? Jesus did. Because Jesus knew that that was the source of His power. He was limiting Himself as God in human flesh. He was limiting Himself to the same thing you and I have, and that is the power of prayer. Look at Luke chapter 22. Just a few chapters after Jesus has given us this parable that we ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. In Luke chapter 22... Jesus tells Peter something fascinating. Don't miss this. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Do you realize that you have an adversary who is as a roaring lion and he's seeking to condemn you? Zechariah 4 gives us this picture of of Satan coming to God and saying, what are you doing with this person? They're not your child. Do you see all of the filth in their life? He's seeking to condemn you for all the mistakes you've made, all the sins you've made. And he's seeking for you to fall. He says here that Satan has sought for you, that the adversary has sought for you to sift you as wheat. But I have what? How did Jesus answer what the enemy was seeking to do in Peter's life? I have prayed for you. The prayer life of Jesus is astounding. As he was awakened morning by morning, he would wake, and oftentimes he would even spend the night, all through the night, praying for his disciples, praying that for the people who were, who were listening to his word to hear his, his teachings. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. At Pentecost, we're amazed that the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter is the one there who's preaching and 3,000 are baptized. What would have taken place if Jesus hadn't spent time interceding for Peter? If Jesus hadn't prayed for Peter earnestly saying, God, Strengthen him. Don't let his faith fail. And now that word for fail is to completely fall. Did Peter, Peter did have a fall. He did deny Christ. But he didn't completely fall. He immediately was repentant and went back to, to God in prayer. And because of Jesus' prayer, we see what takes place at Pentecost. Can you imagine if 3,000 are baptized in Jesus' ministry? 
he ended his ministry in what could have felt like total despair. As he was there on the cross and everybody was rejecting him, here he'd spent three years and he felt like here he had poured his life into these people and they were rejecting him. Even after the 40 days after his resurrection, he left a, a group of only 500 people who were there, who believed, and who were following Jesus. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, God was able to use Peter, the one who denied Christ, the one who had made some of the worst mistakes. God was able to use Peter because of the prayer that Jesus had been praying for him. And 3,000 were baptized in just one day. And the Christian church had a solid foundation. Within the, the coming few weeks, 5,000 more had joined the church. And they were up to 8,120 members in their church. And then they stopped keeping track of the numbers because it's exploding so fast. That's the power of prayer. Can you imagine if Jesus hadn't have taken the time to pray for Peter? In the book Gospel Workers, it says, who can estimate the result of the prayers of the world's Redeemer? When Christ shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And this is specifically talking about the prayer that he prayed for Peter. When Christ shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, then will be seen and realized the value of his earnest prayer while his divinity was veiled with humanity. Gospel Workers, page 30. An incredible thing. When we get to heaven, we're going to realize the difference that Jesus' prayer made. The fact that he prayed for his disciples. The fact that he was praying for you in John chapter 17 says, I don't pray for these only, but I pray for those who believe through their word. And that would be you. Jesus has prayed for you. And when you get to heaven, you're going to realize that you're filled with eternal life because of what Jesus has done in praying for you. Because Jesus has already won the victory on the cross. But Jesus has said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find people who are faithfully coming to me in prayer like the persistent widow. So I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's a problem that you're facing personally. Maybe you're under attack at work, at school. You're under attack with your family. Don't let Jesus go until He blesses you. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. You don't have enough resources to answer the problems of your life, but Jesus does. And He promises to do it in answer to your prayer but we've got to persist. We've got to cry out day and night. He told this parable that in the end times it was going to come to a place where people were going to be losing heart and where he wondered if there would even be faith on the earth. Because it's tempting to just give up. It's tempting to not persist in prayer. Will we persist in prayer? But not just for ourselves. We sit here as a church that's blessed to hear about Jesus, who's blessed to know about the Bible, but will we persist in prayer for our kids, our grandkids who aren't here? Will we persist in prayer for the people in our family who don't know Jesus? Will we persist in prayer for our neighbors, for the people at work, even the people that we just find the enemy using to attack us? Will we pray for them as Jesus prayed for Peter? Will we be people of faith who believe that God will answer? It's an incredible story of George Mueller. If you've ever 
read the autobiography of George Mueller, you know that he was a man of incredible faith and incredible prayer. If we could get this up on the screen. George Mueller was a man who started orphanages all in answer to prayer. But George Mueller was a man who also was persistently praying for the salvation of souls. In November of 1844, George Mueller writes, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, or whether the pressure of my engagements, whatever they might be, I continued to pray. He said, I prayed, I picked five individuals, five people that I wanted to see them come to Jesus. And I just began to pray every single day, no matter what was going on in my life, I began to persistently pray for these five individuals. Now this is a man who's seen incredible answers to prayer. He's a man who had seen orphanages just provided for, their money provided for, all in answer to prayer. Eighteen months elapsed before the first five were converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. For the first, sorry, the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed for the others. So he prayed for 18 months, and one of those five was converted. And he, he said, praise God, and he kept on praying. Five years elapsed, and then the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second, and I prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. This is 11 years he's been praying every single day for these five, and finally he sees the fourth one converted. I thanked God for, the, for this and went on praying, or three so far, and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. The man to whom God and the riches of His grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the selfsame hour or day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals, and yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God. I pray on and look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. This was the faith that carried him through. He continued to pray for these two individuals. And what happened with those prayers, you might ask? Well, in 1897, those two men who were friends of Mr. Mueller were still not converted. In 1897, George Mueller died. But it wasn't long after that, after his death, that God brought these two to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ also. He didn't know then, but when he gets to heaven, he's going to find out the difference that Jesus used his prayers to make. Will you and I persist? Will Jesus find faith in you and I? Will we cry out to him day and night? Will we beg him? Will we plead with him? Not because he's not a God of love, but because he wants to work because we recognize that we're in a battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of darkness. Because we recognize that we don't have the answers, but Jesus does. Will we persist in prayer? I want to encourage you. Keep coming out to the 10 days of prayer. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to be having another night with the 10 days of prayer. And I want to encourage you to come out to the 10 days of prayer. And if you've been coming and you're thinking, well, what difference is it making? 
Jesus promises you that it's making a difference. And those of you who have been there and you've been blessed by it, keep coming back. And those of you who haven't gotten to experience it yet, why not tonight? Give it a try. Come and seek Jesus in prayer. But not only seek Him in that group, but I want to encourage you to pray about making your own list. And some of you have lists. I'm thankful for this church. It's such a praying church who is praying for so many people. Like John Dorn talked about last night, they pray for a list of people every single day. It's making a difference. Keep on praying for that list. But if you don't have a list of people, or even if you already do, I want to encourage you to make a very specific list. During these 10 days of prayer, they've encouraged us, this is a world church effort of praying around the world. People are praying at every time zone all around the world, countries all around the world during these specific 10 days. And they've encouraged everyone to just pick seven people, seven people that you want to see come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and be praying for them every day. But I want to encourage you to pick seven people locally in this area. Seven people that you would like to see have the blessing of coming and being a part of this church family. Have you been blessed by being a part of this church family? I've been incredibly blessed to come and worship with you on Sabbath and during the week. It's such an incredible blessing. Well, just 40 days from now, we're going to be having a special seminar where we're going to be having a prophecy meeting that we're going to invite the community to come and have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to recognize the times that we're living in, and to recognize the truths of the Bible that Jesus is calling us to follow. So what if we follow Jesus' example of going and praying and not letting Him go. Not letting the Father go until He blesses in seven specific people's lives. And saying, God, would You bless these people and would You draw them to You? I want to encourage you. Make a list of people. People in your work, people at school, people in your neighborhood. Make a list of people that you want to see come to Jesus and pray for them. Don't just pray. But you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. Will we persist in prayer? Will Jesus come back and find us faithful? Find us on our knees? Let's pray together. Precious Father, we want to persist in prayer. We don't want to let You go until You bless us. Father, I ask for forgiveness because so often I've given up on praying. I've only prayed once. I've, I've prayed weak prayers, but Father, I'm asking that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit on us and that You would fill us with the heart of Jesus to pray for the lost, to pray for those situations in our life that we can't handle, to pray that You would give us justice against the adversary. Thank You that the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. Father, may we persist in prayer, in your strength. Please, fill us with a desire to pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.